I want to welcome you today, those of you listening to the podcast, joining us at Church Online, watching on YouTube, however you may be engaging with us today. To catch you up real quick, we are in part seven. Can you believe that? Part seven of our series, Misfits, where we are learning how to be what we are called to be. We are learning how to become what it is we are called to become. Those who live different, those who think different, those who act different, because baby, we are different. We are misfits. And if you're new with us today, or maybe it's your first time to to join us in a minute, or maybe you're parachuting into this installment of this series, what we are doing throughout the whole of this series is walking through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, the New Testament writing that is known as 1 Peter. It's a letter from the apostle Peter to Christians, Jesus followers scattered throughout what may have been called Asia Minor at one time, maybe what you and I would better know as modern day Turkey. And he's communicating to them how to live this God honoring life, how to live in a way that makes much of Jesus and who he is and what he's done and how his life and his work and his testimony now impacts the world all around us today. He's communicating what it means to live as a misfit. And we have been walking through this, if you're joining us at Church Online or you're just catching this in somewhat real time, throughout this summer season. And while I know the temperature ain't doing nothing about cooling off, our summer season is moving towards a close. Here in just a few weeks, uh, Kids in elementary school and middle school, high school will be going back to school. Teachers, I'm sorry, but it's just true. All the parents that send their kids off to school, though, they just shouted amen. But summer is drawing to a close, and not too long, the university, uh, universities around us will be uh, having students come back on campus, and it's a, it's a great and incredible time. But with that, our Misfit series is coming to a close. We have a few more installments of it as we are drawing near the end of 1 Peter and also this summer season. But today, specifically, I want to tell you where we're going to go, and then we're just going to simply walk through the text together. Specifically today, we are going to cover 1 Peter chapter 4, the entirety of it. And we're going to walk through it sort of in three sections, verse by verse, reading those, but then drawing uh, ideas from it centered around this idea of makeup, of uh, what we are comprised of, of how it is we are marked. Because misfits have a makeup to them that is true of who they are on the inside because they're not overly concerned about how it always appears on the outside. Everything that we buy, whether you buy something for your house, something for your car, you buy clothes to put on your person. Uh, most of what it is we buy has a, a label attached to it, right? Like there is a label on the back of your shirt or the inside of your jeans or, or on the inside of your shoes, and it communicates who made it, how they made it, and really it's supposed to be an indication of quality. You see one label, you're supposed to be able to assume, oh, this is well made. 
You, you, you see how it was put together, where it was put together, what was done, the materials used, and you go, oh, this, this is going to last for a long time. And then you see another label, and you're like, we'll be good if this makes it through the weekend, but all we really need it for is the weekend, so we're fine. Because the label's supposed to indicate that. It's supposed to tell you something about the makeup of a, of a thing. It's the marker, if you will, of the work that went into making a product. Now, the interesting thing about our world today and people today, and maybe you're like this, is that Many people are more consigned with the logo than the label. Many people are more concerned with giving off the image of having a thing rather than that thing being actually made in the way that that logo is supposed to represent. Right when I graduated high school, I spent a little over three weeks uh, as a part of a team that went to do some missions work in the Philippines. There was a family in the church that I uh, was attending who was from the Philippines. And so this, uh, this mission work had been created around going literally to their hometown, working with their home church and, uh, and serving there for many weeks and doing some outreach work. It's a ministry work. It's a build work. And it was a great, great time. I just graduated high school. I was very, very excited about it. I, I was already planned on going to seminary. I, like, I had my path set. But I was going to spend three and a half weeks in the Philippines. And we got there and uh, landed and got to spend a couple days uh, sort of getting used to the time change, getting used to the, the culture and the food and the water and these kind of things, but also just sort of being able to relax. We got to relax on the front end, and then after a couple of days, it was, it was work, 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 right? And so part of what we did on the front end was go shopping. And one of the things that I did not know that you could acquire in the Philippines is you could acquire stuff that had name brand logos, but wasn't name brand. And I mean like the nicest of the nice. Because uh, in high school, I'd worked for this, this, this store that, you know, we sold all sorts of clothes and stuff like that. So I had built up this affinity for, you know, brands and these kind of things. And I remember walking through this little market in the Philippines. We were just there, and I'm kind of, you know, groggy and all this kind of stuff. And I come across a, a watch shop, okay? And you, 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 your boy uh, started looking around this watch shop, and I found this watch that I thought was really, really great looking. But the main reason I thought it was great looking is because of the logo that it had on there. It had the logo that had a little crown on there, and it was a five-letter word. It said R-O-L-E-X, Rolex. And that was all I needed to see. Because how cool would it be if your 17-year-old me started stunting on everybody with a Rolex? And so I said, I wonder how much this Rolex is. And I went to the counter and did the conversion and found out this Rolex cost about $12. <laughs> and I was like, done. This is my kind of Rolex. And so I bought me a Rolex. I got the links adjusted right. I put that thing on me. And you couldn't tell me nothing. Because your boy had graduated high school, went to the Philippines, and now he was stunting on people with a Rolex. And it said Rolex only. There was only one problem about this Rolex. This Rolex was not made with the quality of Rolex because my Rolex never made it back to the United States of America. <laughs> my Rolex uh, uh, crumbled into about 738 pieces after about two weeks of wear because it said Rolex, <laughs> but it wasn't made with the quality of a Rolex. I used to see this all the time when I valeted cars. When I was in college, I valeted cars. 
And I would have cars pull up to the establishments I would work at all the time that would have logos on the outside, but you get on the inside and find out, like it would have Lexus on the outside, but you get on the inside and it's a Nissan, like, like a broke down Nissan. I remember this one car pulled up one time, it was this SUV and it was real nice, man, real good looking. But it had the biggest Cadillac logo I've ever seen in my life. And I'm like, this Escalade? I ain't never seen an Escalade like this. And, we get the people out, they go into the establishment, and I've got to go park the car, and I close the door, and I'm not really paying attention, but I know that I'm, I'm getting in this Escalade because I saw the logo, and I grab the steering wheel. Now, at that time, I hadn't been in an Escalade in a minute, but at that time, uh, all of your newer Escalades had steering wheels that were the top and the bottom were essentially wood grain. So, like, when you grab the steering wheel, you are grabbing a solid, like, entity like a, a like and it has a has a way it feels and it was all like like riveted so it would sit around your fingers and I was used to this because this is what I did man I parked cars four or five nights a week for 30 40 hours a week like I was very familiar on site on touch like what a car was what and I grabbed the steering wheel and the steering wheel was mushy and I was like what is this and I looked down at the steering wheel and I did not see a Cadillac logo anymore I saw that bow tie that said Chevrolet. I was in a augmented about 1993 Chevrolet Tahoe that had been turned to look like a brand new off the market Cadillac Escalade on the outside. Because it had the logo, but not the label. It had the appearance, but not the makeup. It was looking like something that it wasn't truly on the inside. It gave the appearance but it did not have the substance. There are lots of spiritual folk who want to wear the logo of a misfit, but they ain't really about that life. They want people to think in certain circles that they love Jesus, that they are following his ways on every layer of their life. But the reality is they, they, uh, they appearing one way and being another. They take in the logo, but they don't have the substance. Misfits aren't like that. Misfits are those who, the deeper you dive, the more you see the quality of the work. Misfits are those that whatever you see on the outside, you can find to be true on the inside. There is a marking on a misfit that when you dig on the inside of their lives, you actually find whatever you saw on the outside was true on the inside. And this is really the heart of what Peter gets at in 1 Peter chapter 4. And today what I want to do as we walk through together this fourth chapter of the book of 1 Peter is I want to highlight the marks of a misfit. I want to help you see what goes on on the inside of a misfit because lots of people would like the logo. Lots of people would like to roll up and be like, "Woo! look at them. I see it on them. But the marks of a misfit are something that um, aren't always seen in the most glamorous ways on the outside. And Peter highlights them here. So let's begin reading 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Those of you at church online listening to the podcast, man, I hope you lean in today. I hope you take notes. Our notes are available on our current series page. You can fill in the notes as you go if you're watching this on another device. Man, and let's get God's word in us together today. Because what we are trying to discover, as Peter did, 
is to see whether or not the misfit that you are that I am is legit or not. First Peter chapter four, starting in verse one, it says this. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. For there has already been enough time spent doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. Yeah, he getting after it. They are surprised that you don't join in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you forward. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. Peter addresses right off the rip here in what we call chapter 4 of 1 Peter, the distinction that misfits take on. That he says, hey listen, these, these Gentile people, which really is his way of saying, these people that don't believe God like you believe God, these people that don't follow God like you follow God, you need to understand they give themselves to some things and they wonder why you don't give yourself to some things. And that is actually the first marking of a misfit. Would you write this down if you're taking notes today? Peter highlights for us that misfits are marked by their restraint. I promise you on today, those of you watching at church online, listen to the podcast, hear me. This sermon ain't going to be the most... Um, friendly and encouraging sermon you've ever heard. But this sermon on today, I believe, can also be a, a light to turn on on the inside of us to inspect the quality and the character of who it is we are and who it is we are becoming in the name of God. And so the first marking that Peter points out as he dives into this difficult-to-digest dialogue is that misfits are marked by their restraint. Misfits, to say it another way, are less concerned with what they can do and it not be a sin and more concerned with doing what God desires in every situation and circumstance they find themselves in. For misfits, it's not what can I get away with, but what does God desire of me here? What a beautiful, powerful, but also life-altering question to ask. What does God desire of me here in this season of my life? What does God desire of me here in this relationship? What does God desire of me here at this occupation, in this season of my life, in this time in history, in this place that I'm living? What does God desire of me here? As a pastor, and as someone who's been a pastor for many, many years now, youth pastor, now, now obviously as a, as a lead pastor of our church, in many different roles along and in my life. One of the most common questions that we pastor people get, anybody, myself included, but anybody that has pastor attached to their name, is we will have people ask us this. In some way, shape, form, maybe you've asked this question. Is it a sin to? Right? Is it a sin to? Fill in a blank with whatever's on your mind at that time. Now, I just... 
I want, I want to take you inside the mind of a pastor when you ask that question, okay? <laughs> I want to take you inside of my, any pastor, no matter what state they live in, no matter where you bumped into them, no matter if it was the youth pastor, the children's pastor, the adult pastor, the senior adult pastor. If you ask somebody with pastor attached to their name, is it a sin to dot, dot, dot? The first thing we assume is this, is that you are already doing the thing in question. Like, I know you're posing it like, I don't really, I'm asking for a friend. I know you're posing it like, like, I just, it just came to me, I just had this thought, maybe you could give me, would it be a sin to, not that I've ever done, but would it be a sin to, let me tell we assume that you are already doing said thing. It don't matter what it is. It don't matter how uh, simple or innocent it seems in your mind or how vile and crazy it may seem. We assume that you do said thing, okay? I just want you to know that. That don't mean don't ask the question. I'm just helping you to understand, like, like when you ask, is it a sin too? Dot, dot, dot. We assume that you are uh, doing said thing, not that you're just posing it like you're curious. The second thing I need you to understand about this question and this thinking pattern of questioning is... It's actually the wrong question to answer. It's actually not even the right question to ask. Because it's built out of a desire to justify something rather than to do whatever it is the Holy Spirit wants. Most people, when they ask, is it a sin to, they are looking for uh, credence. They're looking for justification. They are looking for somebody to tell them what they want to hear and say, yeah, that's not a big deal. Or no, that's fine. Or you have the freedom. You have the right. The, the, the Bible doesn't say anything against. And so you are welcome to. That is what is in the heart of the asker when you ask, is it a sin too? Because what a lot of people then will bring to light as they're asking this question or in conversation about this question, particularly if they do not get the answer that they uh, hope for is they will think of the words of Paul where Paul uh, admonishes the people to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling before God. Which is a weighty and powerful thought. But it's interesting to me how often that thought is used to somehow give credence or allowance to things that may be questionable. Rather than for people to say, you know, because I'm working out my own salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord, even though that may be okay, that may be all right, that may not be a big deal to some, I'm going to draw a line. And I ain't even going to try to get near that. I've drawn a lot of lines in my life. I don't say this to try to come across in any way like I have my stuff together because I don't. I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. But I'm also someone for who a long time I have worked diligently to honor God the way his scripture calls us to and to be uh, sensitive to the leading and direction of the Holy Spirit because I truly want to bring honor to God with my life. And I truly don't want the things that I do, the things that I might be allowed to do, to make it harder for people that are in my world to follow God. So there are things that I, for one, I could do that I don't do because I believe for me, God doesn't want me to do those things. Not that those things are categorically sin, 
Not because those things are always wrong. Not because people who may do those things or entertain those things or allow those things in their life are these terrible, horrible people. No, not at all. There are things that I don't do, that there are people that I look up to spiritually, that, that I, I, I admire, that I are so far ahead of me. They do. But I don't do. And it's not because it makes me better. But it's because I'm trying to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling before God. And I've just realized that there are some things in my life where I've drawn lines and I've said, okay, this isn't going to be good for you. So you like, what? Again, this is not me telling you not to. This is me telling you what I do and don't do. But I love sports. I have loved sports my whole life. I don't even know how to because uh, it's not like I grew up in a sports-loving family. But I love sports. Love basketball, love golf. Uh, I appreciate football, college football. The NFL is fun. Yeah, like uh, I, I, I love sports. I love competition. And what's been really weird as a sports fan, those of you who are sports fans will acknowledge the truth of what I'm saying, is that over the last few years, I don't know, maybe five or seven years, it has been very interesting to watch this thing that is sports gambling, which used to be seen as this dirty, shady, it will get you kicked out of baseball for the whole of your life, like side of the sports world, like somebody's got a bookie, but we can't really talk about the bookie, and it's this dude that you call on some shady number, and he lives in Vegas and whatever. But like now, sports gambling has been woven into the conversation of the live broadcast of all sporting events. You'll hear the play-by-play -play announcer for a basketball game, talk about what the spread was and the over-under and communicate all these as just normal things within this world. Like, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to remember when, when sports gambling was the thing like back around backside of the house that nobody talked about, but everybody knew it was there. And now it's front and center. For me, I can't touch it on any level. Because I love sports too much, and I think I know sports too well, and I know what would happen if I ever gambled on sports. I'd win at the beginning, and which would prove my knowledge that I have, and so I'd do it more. And then I'd find myself addicted to something that I don't need to become addicted to. And I'd find myself losing because, like they always say, they don't, they don't have all them, all them lights in Vegas, build all them casinos off people winning all the time. No, no, no. Ultimately, like they say, the house always wins. And so I stay away. I stay away when I know I can win. Some of you have never played golf before, but one of the things people love to do when, when, when you play golf, and it's weird, people like to do this even if you don't know one another, is they like to gamble on golf. And I promise you, all I need to do is take a look at your clubs and watch your practice swing, and I know whether or not I can beat you or not. The problem is, most of the time, the people that approach me and say, hey, you want to you wanna play for a little money out here? Baby, I could wax them. <laughs> like, like, this is free money. Like, this is basically me walking up to an ATM machine, and it just put a money in my hand. But I won't do it. Now, maybe you could give me verses as to why it's right, why it's wrong. Listen, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about working out my own salvation with fear and trembling before God. And so that is a line that I've drawn and just said, I don't touch that. Because I believe everything I have is God's and that I have to use whatever it is he's given me well. And so I don't, it's a line I've drawn.
It's, uh, for me, a mark of restraint. For me personally, I don't drink alcohol. Now, the, the Bible is actually very clear on alcohol. It is not a sin to drink alcohol, okay? It is a sin to get drunk. Like, there is a clear line there. And, and, and you, you, you just can't build a biblical scriptural case with any other conclusion. It is not a sin to drink. It is a sin to get drunk, okay? But I don't drink alcohol. Partly because I was uh, brought up in a tradition, um, specifically when I was in seminary and Bible college and then uh, you know, on from there, uh, that did not allow ministers to drink. And so that was ingrained in me. So that's part of it, and I understand that. And I honored that. But now it's become a thing where it would not be helpful for me because I have too many people in my life that I love, too, too many people that I am, uh, God has graced me with influence in their life in some way or another who struggle with alcohol, who alcohol is their vice, who alcohol is the thing that leads to them making some of the worst decisions they make weekly, daily, monthly, yearly, whenever it is. And it's been the cause of too much pain maybe in their home growing up, too much pain in their life that that is. And so I do not drink. It doesn't make me better than somebody who does and does in moderation. It is just simply a line I've drawn, and I don't do that. But I find myself at gatherings and parties and socials and events all the time with people who do drink, with people who say, hey, man, what can I get you? I want to get you something. Hey, what do you have? What do you have? And like, like, no, that's not what I do. And when they ask me why, I tell them that part, not even the front part. I tell them that, well, you know, I got a lot of people in my life who, uh, you know, alcohol is a struggle for them. And so for me, it's just been easier to draw a line and say, I don't do that. Does not make me better. It's just a line I've drawn. A line that really is about restraint, not freedom. That's about trying to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling before God, not about, I have the right, the freedom, the liberty to do, it is covered by the blood, I'm gonna. But a lot of us don't think about our lives and what we can do and can't do in this way. In fact, let me ask you this question, and I pray this question sits on you. But what will you not do not because it's categorically sin, but because the Holy Spirit has convicted you that it's not good for you. See, most people are looking for the Holy Spirit to give them justification that this is okay. Where have you found that this thing, I ain't even worried about no Bible verses on it, this thing ain't good for me. This thing ain't good for me because there are people that I love that it wouldn't be good for them if I did it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What if loving your neighbor actually had something to do with things that you had the ability to do that you didn't do because you love your neighbor? It wasn't just about you handing five bucks to the person at the corner. Or was it just about you cutting the grass of your physical neighbor? What if love your neighbor was about some restraint in your own life, misfit, to be able to have influence and care and not be a stumbling block to people that you love? What will you not do? Not because it's categorically sin but because the Holy Spirit has convicted you that it's not 
good for you. Can I tell you something about misfits? Misfits would rather live life with too much restraint than too much justification. I have come to the point where I would rather get to the other side in eternity and have Jesus himself tell me, Michael, I really appreciate the stance you took on this and the fact you never did, but you could have. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'd rather live my life with too much restraint than too much justification. Listen, I'm not perfect. I have blind spots. I have things that I do. I have things that I allow. I have things that I harbor in my heart that I need the Holy Spirit to convict me, to free me, to help me, to change me. Baby, I don't tell you two examples of some lines I've drawn to somehow posture that I'm perfect because I am far from it. But I do know that for some people, they've never looked at their lives and what they do and they don't do by putting the lens of restraint on it. They're only looking for what it is I can do. So they call on God to bail them out or to get them out. <laughs> what if we stopped always needing the Holy Ghost to throw you a life raft and start letting him captain your ship? Start letting him direct where it is you go. Start letting him direct what it is you do and what you don't do. See, here's what I'm telling you to do. Write this down in your notes. Let spirit dominate sin. Let the spirit of God dominate sin in your life. See, the work of sanctification is just that. It's letting the Holy Spirit dominate more and more and more of the sin that used to dominate your life. Because the more you allow the spirit to lead, the more you allow the spirit to direct, the more you allow the spirit to convict, to overthrow, the more that sin doesn't have the same power over you. This is what misfits do. Misfits are marked by restraint. And what you will find is that some of you, the spirit of God is trying to, trying to help you bring some restraint to some areas because that restraint is going to bring freedom to you. The markers of misfits. Misfits are marked by their restraint, but that is not where Peter ends. He continues on in verse 7 in this way. He says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift. Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides. So that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The second mark of a misfit, not the logo that people run around with, but the mark. Look at the label. Look at how this thing is put together. They are marked, yes, by their restraint, but they're also marked, please look at this and write this down by their stewardship. Misfits are marked by their stewardship. Now, when we hear the word stewardship, many of us, particularly those of us that have some connection to church or spiritual things, the first thought in our mind is money. But the problem is it's often the only thought in our mind. Money is something that we should steward, yes. The, the Bible, Jesus himself, talks so much about 
our money and our possessions and how we use them and what we should use them for and shouldn't use them for and how to think about them and a lot. So stewarding your money is absolutely something you should steward. But you need to realize for a second, everything you have is a gift from God. If you have breath in your lungs, come on, he woke you up this morning. You should say thank you because that breath is now something you get to steward. And every breath that you have, every relationship that you have, every talent and gifting and opportunity you have is something for you to steward. And the mark of a misfit is they're marked by their stewardship, how they steward their time, how they steward the treasure that they have, how they steward their talent that God has given them, how they steward their tenacity. Why? Because stewardship, watch me, demonstrates love. Stewardship demonstrates love. Peter tells us to love and then shows us how. Stewarding whatever God gives you. People love that one little line in here. Maybe you circled it and highlighted it when we read it. People love that line where Peter says, love covers a multitude of sin. The problem is they divorce it from what love looks like as explained in the text. Peter says here that love looks like this. That if you have a gift, you use that gift to serve other people. Because when you use your gift to serve other people, that's love. If you speak, you speak God's words. Because when you speak God's words, that is the loving thing to do. That if you've got strength and you use that strength for the glory of God and the good of other people, that is love. That you let whatever you have not be about you. You let whatever you've got not be about your use and only your use, but to be used for others. That this is what love looks like. Think about that. Because we give whatever it is we have to the people and the places and the priorities that matter to us, don't we? And that is a demonstration of our love. See, my wife can call me or text me anytime. And if my phone is around and I see that it's her, I will answer it. I will read it and respond. It may just be saying, hey, call me when you get a set. Or hey, could you pick up, could you pick up some, some guacamole on the way home? It may be something trivial. But one of the ways I express my love to my wife is the fact that she has access and she has attention that I give to her that I will give just to everybody. I can't answer everybody's phone call whenever they want to call me. I can't respond immediately to people's emails just because they email me. Sometimes, sometimes you get emailed back three days later. I'm sorry. I, like, I can't give equal access and equal attention to everybody, but I can give as a demonstration of my love unbridled access to my wife. If I stop, started not responding to her text messages, not answering her phone calls, and then roll up in the house and be like, what's good? At some point, she's going to be like, is everything okay? Is our relationship okay? Because you don't, you don't respond. Back. Like, I was just trying to say hi. I was just trying to check on you. I was calling because it seemed like you were stressed out. Like, are you okay? Because love isn't just something that we say. It's something that it's demonstrated by the way we steward whatever it is that we have. See, that's why I consistently give money to the church to fuel ministry. 
I make it a priority in my life and in my finances that out of all of my increase, whether it's a salary from work, whether it's a, a project to do on the side, whether it's an event that I, whatever goes on, whatever increase comes into our lives, we give first. And that is a demonstration that we love God, we love his church, and we love the work that's happening here more than me saying I love it. Because I can say, oh, I love what God's doing here. But if you look at, at the register of where my money has gone and none of it has gone into God's house, I don't know if that's actually all that true. Just saying. Misfits are marked by their stewardship. That's why I use my influence, whatever influence I have, to, to advance and to fix problems in our city. It's been wild the last few months, the, the rooms I've been invited into and the, the places and the people and the organizations that are looking and thinking and processing, partnering with us on different projects and opportunities that we have going on in this city. But the thing that I found over and over again as to why they invite us in, the why they want to partner with us, the why they're curious about the work that I'm leading has a lot to do with the fact that it's not about me. Like we're not doing what we're doing so I can be something. We don't do what we do so there's not gain in it for me. The, the gain is the good of our city. The gain is the good of people. The gain is trying to reach people who don't know God. The gain is trying to be a blessing to children. The gain is trying to create stability for single mom. The gain is something totally different. And so I want to steward the influence that I have. Not try to figure out how I can spin it and make it good for me, but how to continue to use it for others. Because I want people to not just see some logo on my life, some logo that is our church, some logo that is Yellow House, some logo that is the things that we do and think, oh, <laughs> it sounds so generous, but if you looked under the hood. Baby, I want them to look under the hood, pull the threads apart, and figure out this thing is this, it is everything and more that they ever said they were because of how we steward what's in our hands. See, if I say I love, but I don't demonstrate it in stewarding what I have, I'm all talk. And so here's what Peter encourages us to do. Let service dominate selfishness. Selfishness is a reality for every one of us. Even those of you who think you don't think about yourself that much, mm -hmm, you think about yourself in some area about something. Let service dominate selfishness. When you start to pour yourself out, you can't help but not be concerned about yourself that much. The only way for selfishness to die is to let service fly. But too many people have no body, no place, no way that they serve, but not misfits. Misfits know that if they got something, it's something that can be used and that should be used as a demonstration of their love for God to others that are around them, as a demonstration of their love to God back to him through other people, through his church, through somebody. Because misfits are marked, yes, by their restraint, but also by their stewardship. There's one final marking that Peter ends with, and I want to close with this on today. Picking up in verse 12 and reading through the end of chapter 4, verse 19, it says this. It says, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you 
as if something unusual were happening to you. It's interesting here. Peter seems to be alluding to something um, that has happened to other groups, some persecution, some obstacle, some law. We don't know. But something that has made it hard on other groups, and they have probably heard about it. And he says, I want you to not be surprised when that thing happens to you too. Okay? Instead, listen to what he says. Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, evildoer, or meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what's good. Those words I know may seem like a lot and seem like some of the Bible verses that you read and you're like, I don't know what he's talking about. And I get it. Because he's not talking about a thing near as, near as much as he's talking about a way of seeing all things. See, the third mark of a misfit that Peter brings to life that I want to illuminate for us today is yes, misfits are marked by their restraint. And yes, misfits are marked by their stewardship. But please write this third one down. Misfits are marked by their perspective. By their perspective. By how they see all they see. One of the primary realities of faith is just that. That faith is a perspective. I don't see all I see the way everybody else sees all they see. Because as a person with faith in Jesus who believes he is the resurrection and the life. I don't believe that death is the end. I believe that death is the beginning. <laughs> that this life is a vapor, James says. I'm here and I'm gone, but I will live forever one day. See, I don't see this life the way everybody else sees this life. It is a perspective I choose to take on. Because I see whatever it is I see through the lens of faith. Or I don't. It's always a choice. But what I've learned is that God sanctifies us through the stuff that stings. That what he uses to cleanse us out, that's what Peter is referring to here. And it's what he started all of 1 Peter with. The first introduction, the first challenge he gave to us as misfits was to be ready. Because the fire you're going through is going to purify you like fire purifies gold. Don't throw away the fire. Don't complain about the fire. Don't worry about how hot it is around you. Lean into it because this is going to purify you. Maybe that is a perspective because most people try to get out of every difficulty they're in. What if God's trying to purify you through the difficulty you're in? You see, how you choose to see whatever you see says more about your faith than whatever words you may use to define your faith. Peter says that when we suffer, we trust God and we trust that God knows what God is doing. What a perspective. 
What a, what a perspective to be able to say, hey, even though I'm suffering, even though this season that I thought was going to last three weeks has lasted three years, even though I'm struggling, I don't blame God. I don't walk out on God. I believe that God is in control still. And my eyes of faith are wide open to see, God, how are you changing me? How am I relying on you? How are you growing me? How are you developing me? What do you want me to see here? This season isn't useless. And I'm not in this season because I did something wrong. See, we need a perspective on suffering that makes room for what God might be doing in us and through us, through stuff that we don't know why it's near us. <laughs> And stuff that we don't know why we got to go through it. Rather than the dismissal of all things that bring suffering as being something that's unusable by God. Misfits are marked by their perspective. You can find a misfit because they're going through all hell. But you wouldn't know it by listening to them. Their body might be hurting. Their finances might be hurting. Their relationships may be falling apart. Their job may feel real rocky. The securities they've known for the last 15 years may be seeming to fall apart around them. But you wouldn't know it by talking to them. And it's not because they're some Pollyanna, I won't look at really how things are going on type of person. It's because they have the perspective of a misfit that understands, hey, these are light and momentary troubles. And I believe God is doing something through all things. And that the thing he uses to purify me the best are, 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 are suffering situations. But that's actually how he cleanses me. That's how he makes me what he wants me to be. And so what the misfit says is let sanctifying dominate suffering. Let the sanctifying, the purifying, the cleansing, the work that only God can do, making me into who he wants me to be. Let that dominate the suffering that I may be going through. That I won't give my attention to all this difficulty around me, but I will put my attention solely on the one who judges justly, solely on the one who, who knows my, my end from my beginning, solely on the one who all the days of my life were written in his book before one of them even came to be. I trust my life to him. See, misfits are marked by restraint. Misfits are marked by stewardship. Because ultimately, misfits are marked by their perspective. And it's time for us to change that, how we pray. If we're going to pray like misfits. Because so often what we pray is we pray for God to free us. Because we're in a situation that feels... It's holding us down. What if we began to be people who pray when we're in difficult situations? Not God free me, but God teach me. God show me in this moment. Some of you right now, wherever you're at, watching at church online, listening to this podcast, you're in the car, you're going for a run, you're gathered around the television, you're sitting in the kitchen. I don't know where you are. Some of you right now where you are need to begin to pray this way and say, God, teach me in this moment. God, purify in me this moment. God, use this word even on today to help me to draw lines of restraint in my life. 
God, help me to steward everything. I only thought I didn't have much to steward because I didn't have much money. But you've given me a lot of breath. You've given me a lot of energy. You've given me a lot of time. Maybe some of you, he ain't giving you no time in this season. But you've got some resources or you've got connections. And God is saying, I want you to steward this for me, not for the honor of your name, but for the honor of his name. I want you to use it for his purposes in the earth. It's a different way of seeing misfits are marked by their perspective so they don't say God deliver me but they may pray God deliver me if that's your will if not grow within me the strength to handle this change me so that what's coming against me doesn't overwhelm me but I trust in you in the midst of it see misfits learn how to pray a different prayer because they ain't just about the logo it's about that label. They are made of something different. You know, the primary difference between the real thing and the knockoff is the quality of the material. And that knockoff may look good, but wear it a few times. See, there's a, there's a thing with good material that sort of categorically can be referred to as patina. And inexpensive, unquality materials can't develop patina. They crack, they break, they dissolve, they rust, they fall apart, they whatever. But when you got something made of good material, the older it gets, the better it looks. It's got some character to it. It's got some patina about it that you can't fake, you can't flage, you can't just apply to it. It's only developed because of what it went through. But you gotta look at the label of your life and see if what you've been building is ever gonna be able to develop that kind of patina <laughs> or uh, if maybe if it gets hot enough, stressful enough, difficult enough, used enough, you're just gonna fall apart. But not misfits. Misfits get better with age. Misfits get stronger through struggle. Because misfits have been marked by their restraint, they've been marked by their stewardship, and they've been marked by their perspective. That God will use this for his glory and for my good. Father, I thank you today for your word. I pray you challenge your people. I pray you move. Holy Spirit, convict us, change us, Expose within us what needs to be exposed. And use us. Make us stronger. Make us misfits who are willing to have restraint if it's for your honor. Who want to be known for our stewardship because we recognize everything that we have, everything that we've been given, the life, the breath, the ideas, the connection, all things are from you. So we use all things for you. Father, let us be people who are marked by our perspective, that do not see the difficulties and the struggles of our lives as some indictment, as some punishment, but as the thing that you use to make us into who you want us to be. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray all this, Jesus, in your precious name. And everybody said, amen.